podcast listener, even if you are alone in your entrepreneurial journey, know that today, right now in your earbuds, you are joined by thousands of entrepreneurs from all around the globe seeking to grow better, more profitable, location-independent businesses. If you'd like to learn more about what we do and download our entire back catalog, check out tropicalmba.com. Heyo, happy Thursday morning, and welcome to the TMBA pod. It is no secret that we are a bookish crowd around here. So many of you love to read, have built your business off the wisdom and insights you've gained in books, and I know a lot of us, we want to read more. So this is an episode for those of you who love books and those of you who want to read more. I'm going to kick off this episode with some of my favorite books of the last 12 months. And we're also at the end going to touch on the process of writing as well, because I have recently completed the draft of my first book, something I've been droning on about on this show for years. So I'm going to talk a little bit about what got me over the hump. So more on that later on in the show. I'd love to hear what you're reading, what you think I would get value out of. Let me know your suggestions or what you're up to in 2018 in terms of your reading habits. We're going to post this blog post at tropicalmba.com slash books and writing. And so it's not just me droning on about what I read last year. I've invited a guest on the show to inject some new ideas. Today's guest is a former journalist and someone with great taste in books and for whom books are not just a passion, but a way of life. My name is Kyla Gardner, and I am a writer. I do Kindle publishing, which is on Amazon, but it's not just ebooks. It's also, they do print on demand paperbacks and then audiobooks as well. So, yeah, they're short books. I haven't written any under my own name yet, but someday soon, hopefully. I'm all about those books, about those books. Start reading. I'm all about those books, about those books. Yeah, it's pretty clear. Let's get into it then. Without further ado, we're going to discuss our top five favorite books of 2017. So let's start number one with your list. Okay, so my number one, I'm going to come out swinging here with a super heavy one, but it's When Breath Becomes Air by Paul Kalanithi. And it's the story of a neurosurgeon who gets stage four lung cancer at the age of 36. And the book is a memoir he writes of kind of his last few years, just working through that whole experience. And it's very thoughtful. He, for many years, studied literature as well and couldn't decide whether to do a PhD in literature or study medicine because he was really interested in what made a life meaningful. And obviously, great works of art and literature look at that question. But he ultimately decided he wanted to be saving lives by the deathbeds, in the life and death moments, and that that would teach him more. The first half of it, you follow him through medical school and hear about these transformative experiences that he has with people who he saves and who he can't save. And then the second half is him trying to live with this diagnosis. And he kind of has to figure out what his identity is, because he said it's the not knowing how long he has that's very difficult. Like, give him three months, he'd just spend it with family. Give him a year, he'd write a book. Give him 10 years, he'd get back to the surgery room. So it's him figuring out his values in that moment. And at the end, they quote from 
an email he was writing to a friend when he was in the process of writing the book, and he thought that his diagnosis was just tragic enough, but just imaginable enough that readers could kind of walk around in his shoes for a little bit and feel like what it was like to kind of be on that precipice, knowing that we'll all end up there someday. Very strong. It's quite heavy, but it's very beautiful and makes you feel kind of, I would say, like a visceral gratitude for life that unfortunately I struggle to manufacture when I'm trying to like do a daily gratitude list or something. Okay, so my favorite book of the year was Grant, and it's Ron Chernow's new biography. Ron Chernow is one of those authors that I will read anything that he writes. And his new book was about Ulysses S. Grant. So this is a guy that I'm a big fan of, generally speaking, because he's a midlife turnaround story. This might say something about me, but I'm always enthusiastic about people who like kind of screwed up and then managed to turn it all around. I think there's a part of me that says, I have a second win too. You know, like I've got big things in store for my future, hopefully. And Grant was one of these guys that like at the age of 38, he was kind of washed up, a loser. He had to take a job from his father-in-law. He got kicked out of the army because he was boozing too hard. And he just couldn't like put a career together. So at the age of 38, this dude has a family, has a wife, father-in-law hates him. And he's running one of his father-in-law's stores for him as a clerk. You can just imagine like, oh gosh, it didn't work out as I planned. Well, the Civil War breaks out and it turns out that Ulysses S. Grant has an incredible skill set for leading men into battle. And he wasn't like the other generals. He didn't have a big ego. He wasn't particularly ambitious. He was just great at what he did. And people recognized that in a time when people needed things done. And he ended up being elevated as the commander in general of the entire Union forces by the end of the war. And one of Lincoln's, the greatest president in United States history, key confidants and most trusted advisors. He was like this character that not only in U.S. history spanned the Civil War, but also he was the president during the initial phases of Reconstruction. You know, for people that are interested in American history, this book is an absolute no-brainer. From a more general audience perspective, it's the story of putting your ego aside and focusing on doing work really well, while people all around him were you know, doing things in their own self-interest. And I think that Grant was able to capture some higher ideals and ones that history hasn't always given him credit for. It just felt like an incredible amount of care and craft went into this work. And so that leads me to say Grant by Ron Chernow, my favorite book of 2017. If you ship small parcels in your business via FedEx or UPS, I've got an easy, no-brainer way for you to increase the profitability in your business. You need to check out today's sponsor, Refund Retriever. Here's the thing. FedEx and UPS both offer a full refund if they don't deliver your packages to your customers on time. But the reality is, is they're not going to automatically give those refunds to you. So it becomes a clerical problem, a headache, and so most of us don't bother following up with them. And that's where Refund Retriever comes in. It's a service that audits your invoices for late deliveries and other billing mistakes that you frankly don't have the time to notice. And here's the best part. You're only going to pay Refund Retriever when they find 
actual savings that they're making for you. That's right. Refund Retriever liaises directly with FedEx and UPS so you don't have to get involved. It's basically free money. If you're shipping small parcel packages, you got to check out today's sponsor, Refund Retriever. All right. I'm out of breath. It's your turn. My next one is The Shallows by Nicholas Carr. And this is a history of humans acquiring language, I would say. So in the second half, he goes into what is the internet doing to our brains? Because we might think as arrogant humans that we just work on machines and we just bend them to our will and they do nothing back to us. But his argument is, as we work with machines, they change us as well. So I love he has this line about how Socrates in ancient Greece was really worried that the technology of the alphabet was going to make everybody really stupid. So I feel like that's kind of what people are arguing today about the internet, though he does say that it's changing the way we read. And the answer to the question how we read on the internet is really just that we don't. We skim and scan. And that's changing the way then we approach books. It's changing the way that our brains work when we interact with it that way. So I I liked it because it gave me more of a context for my approach to technology and the internet and reading and all this stuff we've kind of been talking about because I feel like so much of what we hear about the internet is so short-sighted of just our kids have access to bad stuff or third world countries have access to information. And this is really a complete context for all of it, going back to humans acquiring maps and being able to understand space and then the alphabet. And then he looks towards the future of AI and kind of what can we outsource to machines and then what makes our thinking human. Does it terrify you reading books like this? Yes. I noticed last year that I just, I wasn't, I'd get an itch after 10 minutes of reading a book to go just do anything, just check something or change what I was paying attention to. And he even says he experienced that. And he basically locked himself in a cabin in the woods to write this book. So that says a lot. It actually echoes my next book. I've been doing a lot of pop reading this year. One of the most popular books of the year was Homo Deus is written by the author of Sapiens. And the author's name is Yuval Harari. I loved Sapiens. It's similar to the Nicholas Carr book that you brought up. One of my favorite genres of books are ones that like, if your life is like an apartment, but you don't know that until your neighbor visits, you know, and like someone knocks on the door and like opens up the door and is like, hey, you're in a whole apartment complex here. Your world is much bigger than you think it is. And Sapiens did such a great job of showing the pop reader of 2017 that humanity is such a small incarnation of humanoids. Like there was like a deep, rich history of animals that were so close to us biologically that did a lot of stuff on this planet that lived rich lives that we don't know about because nobody stopped to write a book about them yet. So Homo Deus is a bit of a different take. And the idea is it's sort of taking the same idea and looking forward to the future of humanity. And that includes topics of technology and AI. But a lot of the most interesting parts of Homo Deus are sort of an analysis of where we're at. It's easy for us to not know our own context and look back and say, oh man, you know, they really needed the Renaissance because the Dark Ages were, you know, so entrenched in old school thinking or whatever. 
And he's kind of like, oh, no, you know, you're still a part of this progression here. And one of the most interesting parts of the book is when he takes a look at sort of humanism and how it echoes a lot of our religious heritage. And we think humanism is different from religion, but, you know, maybe not so much. And that's fascinating in and of itself. But the historical process, how it's discussed in Homo Deus, I find really liberating, really interesting. Here's a little vignette that he explains to you where lawns came from. And he goes back to this time when lawns were actually like this expression of wealth. And the idea was that they were completely useless. And it could only indicate your wealth that you had this like patch of grass that you had to have like a full-time crew of people keeping this stuff right. And he like talks about how like the progression of the lawn went through the history. And then he hands it to you, like ostensibly the the American in a home with a lawn. Now that you're armed with this historical knowledge. What are you more likely to do? Are you more likely to continue to mow your lawn every weekend? Or now has a space opened up where you can say, you know what, I'm going to turn it into a Japanese rock garden or whatever. And I think that point can take yourself to like the financial markets, which is like, if there's all these hedge funds saying, okay, we have to invest this way. This is like what our numbers say. We've got all this knowledge that says the markets are going to do this. There's going to be a few people that say, you know what I'm going to do? Japanese rock garden. It's not to follow exactly in the footsteps of all the guides and the historical information that's been handed down to you. So anyway, if you want to build a Japanese rock garden, go read Homo Deus. <laughs> it's a good book. I love it. Your turn. So my next one is Deep Work by Cal Newport, which I know you really love and you had Cal Newport on the show, which was a great episode and probably where I got this recommendation I read this book twice this year, and I really don't take notes when I read books, but I took pages of notes both times to the point where it was like I was struggling not to just write down like every line of the book. It just feels so meaty and actionable. Like I feel like every sentence in it is actionable, and I took so much away from it. So deep work is focused work that creates new value in the world. So as a writer, for me, that's just sitting down and writing for a few hours every day. And... It made me realize that the way I was approaching the rest of my day outside of those hours was what was making it hard to focus when I was supposed to be writing. So I just really like changed everything I was doing and made an effort to look at how I was spending my leisure time. And like I said, try to pick up books more instead of scanning social media and just coming to the realization that I had to do that to improve my writing. What does that mean? Like drinking more coffee? <laughs> <laughs> Probably drinking less coffee. I could tell that I was like just very distracted and addicted to the constant picking up of my phone. And you kind of have in the, in the back of your mind like, ah, oh, you know, this isn't the best use of my time. But I hadn't read something that was so well put and well thought and just giving me the permission, I guess, to like, don't go on Facebook. Like nobody's going to care. I, <laughs> I release you. And that was, in a way, revolutionary. The other thing I've realized about really being serious about deep work periods and defending them against the marauders that exist at all gates, you know, is the really important implications if you don't. I remember thinking back to like what it took to start our business. And there was like such a desperation and an ambition at that time that it was relatively easy for me to protect that time. But now that I'm a little bit older, I realize that it's so much easier to compromise it if people ask for this or if I'm just lazy about it. 
which is the number one culprit. That the reality is, is like progress in your creative and professional life. There is no progress without defending the deep work. So after you've done your deep work period and you want a gentle unwind period, I recommend American Kingpin by Nick Bilton. So this book is actually a really great one to listen to on Audible. I'm a big fan of Audible. I remember my friend over the Christmas break was like, Audible, yeah, that's a good idea, but it's like 15 bucks a month for one credit, 15 bucks a month. I regularly buy more credits. I don't know if they have higher plans or whatever. It doesn't matter. This is the best $15 deal you can find on the internet. I think I wrote in a blog post a few years ago that like my price threshold for Audible would be in the hundreds of dollars. This is like the easiest bill I pay every month is my Audible subscription. This book in particular is a great one to listen to on Audible. Nick Bilton has also written Hatching Twitter, which is a similar sort of epic entrepreneurial saga. American Kingpin was probably the most popular book this year in the DC book thread. So it's worth pointing out that too. Ben Hebert wrote there that if you like drugs, cryptocurrencies, and Austin, Texas, then you'll tear through this story in a day. I couldn't say it better. So I'll just leave it at that. If you want a really entertaining story to read about entrepreneurship, drugs, and cryptocurrencies, then check out American Kingpin. You're next. All right. So my next one is I'm going to give you the full title of this because I think it tells you the tone really well. It's The Antidote, Happiness for People Who Can't Stand Positive Thinking by Oliver Berkman. (laughs) And he's this British journalist who takes issue with the whole cult of optimism, as he calls it. He goes on all these little adventures and interviews, interviewing Eckhart Tolle and reading ancient works by Stoics and questioning goal setting. And he visits this failure museum in Michigan where it's all these products from huge brand names that have just failed miserably and then been swept under the rug. So they only exist at this little museum. And he has a lot of interesting stuff to just say about failure. He says the path to happiness is not to chase after it with positive affirmations and optimism, but to be comfortable with all of the negative, like failure and uncertainty and insecurity and all those sorts of things, and has a lot of very good anecdotes and small stories and weird characters that he meets. So it's just, it's really fun. And I think it opened me up to a lot of different books and ideas and like it leads you down a lot of these different pathways that then I've discovered all these different things that I'm interested in. So it's a fun read. Yeah, I like this book a lot. And I think it was Jody Ettenberg who put that book in my hands. Shout out to Jody. I'm going to take an executive order here and combine two books into one book recommendation because both of these authors were on the show. You know, the book starts out with the best way to say no is how am I supposed to do that? And there's some people that pick that up really fast and others struggle with that. You know, learning how to construct a no-oriented question and get out of the yes mode, nonsensical crap that is so horrible, but people are so addicted to it. That synaptic connection is hard to build. I would say you want to know, you know, what's your personality? What do you want the name to communicate? You cannot have your name Everybody always writes, you know, trust and look, your name can't communicate trust. Would you buy a car from trusty Sid, you know, used cars? No, 
you can communicate trust by having a, a really well-designed website and customer testimonials, but don't try to squeeze it into your name. Your name should just evoke something positive about your brand. These books are like on the opposite spectrum of style of books. So the first one is Never Split the Difference by Chris Voss. I didn't pick up a lot of like tactical business books this year, but these are both tactical business books. And the reason is, is like most tactical business books aren't very good. That's why I'm just kind of very skeptical of them. And so when I picked up Never Split the Difference and read it, and then subsequently spoke with Chris, I was like, for people who are serious about negotiating and cutting deals, and for most of us, deals play a pretty critical role in our business. This is really a course. This is the sort of thing that you could imagine paying thousands of dollars for and having to sit down and school yourself in. It is so meaty. It is so dense and thick. It's almost intimidating. It's like, if I'm going to become a good negotiator, I have to learn a lot. There are some quick wins, but I really think this book could make a big difference in people's careers if they find themselves frustrated with the quality of deals that they're finding themselves in. Now, on the opposite end of the spectrum, there was a book called Hello, My Name is Awesome by Alexandra Watkins. And this book is exactly what a business book should be. When you have a problem that you need to solve, and in this case, what am I going to name my next business, book, or brand? You buy this book by Alexandra, and you, you don't know what to expect when you buy these books on Amazon. And all of a sudden, you're hearing from an expert who has a real track record and a real simple philosophy on how you can create similar successes as her. And you can read this book in less than an hour. And it is a simple way to duplicate results because she gives a framework for you to determine, you know, like these are the ones you need to cross off your list because they're going to be problematic. I mean, so many of us have problematic names for whatever reason. You just run all of your brainstorms through her simple checklist. Because you made this investment in Alexander's book, you're going to have a much better result. So those are two guests on this show, both on my top books of 2017. One more? Okay. So it's Inside of a Dog by Alexandra Horowitz. And one of my traveling is obviously awesome, but it's just like heartbreaking to me that I can't have a dog. I want a dog so badly. So I read books about them instead. <laughs> and so the author who's a cognitive scientist says that Researchers really haven't looked at dogs up until the last 20 years, so she kind of condenses all this new research they have. Dogs have been domesticated by us. They've lived with humans for thousands of years, and it's often what's most familiar to us that we don't take a second look at. So she says we often anthropomorphize our dogs. What do I see of my own experience in my dog? So her book is Forget All That. What is it actually like to be a dog? What is dogness? So it's just fascinating to hear how strong their sense of smell is. She says they can kind of smell time because scents fade. You know, tracking dogs can follow someone. And even if they run in a circle and try to confuse the dog, the dog can tell exactly where they've run in that circle in time. Dogs outperform chimps in a lot of research. So you would think chimps are cousins. They should be super intelligent, especially when it comes to these trials where they're trying to assist humans or get assistance from humans to get food. But the dogs totally outperform them in just ability to manipulate people and like kind of communicate with them with their gaze. And it's just it's really fascinating. It makes me have a better appreciation for how smart dogs are in their relationships to us. 
Very cool. I agree with the lament. And when I was looking through my reading list today, about half of my books are similar style to this. It's like most of my books that I read are about things that I'm interested in, you know. And one book that sticks out to me this year is this book called Draft Animals by Phil Guyman. And he's like this older kind of sardonic American dude who managed to get himself a gig riding bikes professionally in Europe with all like the real world tour professionals. He's kind of this fish out of water in Europe riding his bike for a living. It's just a fascinating vignette of what another life can look like. So that's another book I'll sneak in there. Love that recommendation. Okay, so now we're into the speed round. One thing I want to mention while we're here This is like the part of the episode where people really start to drop off, you know, so we can start to say whatever we want. At the end, we're going to talk about writing processes. So one of the things I've always wanted to do is write a book, and I've always failed at it. And I finally wrote one. It's very short and shitty, but it's finished. The topic is about selling your business. So I went onto the internet and tried to read a bunch of books about selling businesses. And it's a very underbooked niche, for whatever reason, there's just not a lot of books that like resonated with me about the process of selling a business. There was one book, however, that's an exception. The book is called Finish Big, and it's by Bo Burlingham. And he's also a journalist. There's downsides to reading books by journalists, but one of the upsides is that he doesn't really have a horse in the race. Like he's not he doesn't really care what his subject's opinions are. He's just gonna sort of share them, at least in the case of this book, which I find really refreshing. Because in a lot of business books, the author has stakes in that you do something with that information in a certain direction. And that is the case in a lot of business selling books. So in the case of Finish Big, Bo merely talks to a bunch of entrepreneurs who sold their business and sort of reflects on like how quizzical it is that there's not more stories like this out there. And I think that book did the best job And I really went deep dive in this small little category. I mean, I pretty much bought everything that was on Amazon. So congrats to Bo Burlingham, an official Amazon bestseller in my book, in the small niche category of books that have been written about selling your business that I have downloaded and read in 2017. What are the few extra books that you feel like the audience would want to read or that you love this year? Okay. I love The Fiddler in the Subway by Gene Weingarten. He's the only writer to win the Pulitzer Prize for feature writing twice, and both of those stories are in this little collection. He also has a chapter in the beginning on writing that I really love to reread every so often. Me Talk Pretty One Day by David Sedaris. He's a humor writer, so these are also a bunch of, it's a collection of essays. But the second half is about becoming an expat in Paris and trying to learn French. So I loved identifying with that as an expat who cannot speak the language very well of where I live. (laughs) Turning Pro by Stephen Pressfield. I know he has all these really short books that are kind of all the same book, but just a little different. So I do love Turning Pro because he talks about shadow careers and how you could get trapped by doing something you think is your career, but it's really not that thing that gnaws at you in the middle of the night that you need to do. More books. Give us more books. Digital Gold by Nathaniel Popper. So this is a on-topic Bitcoin book. People are wondering where did this come from and why are people interested in it? I liked kind of that it stopped because it was written, I think, in 2015. So it's like you don't even have the option to get all the crazy recent stuff about it. It just gives you this little history from a few years ago. So I liked that. 
And he's been on the show. Oh, he has. That book is really textured. He's really weaving this complex story of how everything contributed to the beginning of Bitcoin, essentially. We'll link up to his episode if you're interested in his perspective on writing that book. I think we caught him like a few years after he wrote the book, too. So he has some like sort of hindsight on it, which is good. Do you have more quick recs? One like category of writing that I'm obsessed with is the single author blog. And I think one of the best ones of all time is ribbonfarm.com. And this is like a really small genre, right? Like, I mean, I guess you could look back to like journalists in the past, but it's sort of a different genre in the way that bloggers write. This is Guy Venkatesh Rao. He's been on the show and he writes one of the best single author blogs of all time. We'll just put it that way. It's about money, the philosophical implications of living in the internet age. I think that that's sort of a way to sum up his project. And he has this new offer called a Ribbon Farm Roughs, where for 25 bucks on Amazon, you can get basically all of his blog post compendium, plus two of his eBooks that he wrote called Being Slightly Evil and The Gervais Principle, which are like great reads, great reads. So this is like one of the best $25 values on Amazon right now. You can get the best single author blog of all time into your Kindle. And so I highly recommend Ribbon Farm Roughs. And by the way, I don't even think this has any reviews on Amazon yet, which like the Amazon book review situation, here's how it works. If you're in like anything that has to do with like business, productivity, marketing, anything in that like general geography, if the reviews are like above a 4.4, it's a horrible book. And if the reviews are like between 3.7 and 4.4, it might be a pretty good book. It's like these marketers that get all their friends or I don't know, they have the cabal of people who review these books. And there's just no way all these books can be so great. It's definitely a racket. I love the ecosystem of reviews because you go in there and you've always have this like baffled bystander that like bought this book and comes back like haggard a few days later. And they're like, what were people thinking? Is everybody crazy? Like, I don't know what's happening with me, but I have no idea why people love this book so much. Right. They're like questioning their own sanity. Like, am I the only one who can see that this like traffic light is green and not red? That's exactly what's happening on Amazon right now. So you cannot trust these reviews. But there's categories where maybe the people aren't such great marketers, where there's actual people just reviewing the book and people will be like, you know, for a lot of Venkatesh's books, for example, people will be like, you know, this guy is like verbose or he's totally wrong about whatever. And he's like three stars, two stars, whatever. And it's like, mm, that's an interesting book right there. You know? So let's talk then about writing. You're an author. You actually finish books. You write them. This is impressive to most writers. Let's talk about how you do it. For many years, I was a journalist, so it was quite easy to be motivated because just like the deadline is the cardinal rule of journalism. You cannot break that. So now writing for myself with no deadlines, that has been more difficult. It's difficult to get started, to build a habit. I definitely have periods where I go in and out of writing every morning, writing every day. Writing every day is definitely still not something I've mastered. So getting started is very hard, but I think it's so much easier than finishing. Like finishing is the hardest part. It's easy to start so many different books and so many different projects and just actually sticking through something and finishing it is very difficult. And I think what's made that 
possible for me is that I'm not writing under my own name at the moment. So then that kind of perfectionism and whole my identity being wrapped up in it, I get to not feel all of that when I'm publishing it. Interesting. I had a breakthrough I'm going to share. For the longest time, I wanted to write a book so badly because I love books. I read a lot of them. I'm just in the book world all the time. And so I wanted to be a part of it. And this is a really bad reason to write a book, but no one really made that clear to me, or at least I wasn't listening. You said you wanted to write it because you, like it was the book you wanted to read. And I think that's the best reason to write a book is like you want have this book that you want to read and no one's written it. That's interesting. But at the risk of dropping a cliche and having no meaning, I didn't have anything to say. This can be a problem. And here's why. Because I think there's a reason why so many people's PhD theses drag on for years longer than they're supposed to. Because essentially what they're doing is they're writing a long essay. And so the purpose of essay writing is to figure out what you think. And so a lot of people with their PhDs, they're not really sure where they're going to end up. They're not sure where the analysis is going to lead. I mean, they might have a kind of an idea of where they want to massage it to or where they want to end up, but it's hard to get there. And they have to like, the really cynical way to look at, at a lot of these processes is like, they know where they need to end up, but they have no idea how to get there. So they have to like create this Baroque kind of path that makes sense that they get to the conclusion they need. That's very cynical. But in essay writing and as a writing that I've always done is like, I have this spark of an idea, but I don't know really what it means. And so I got to write it down to figure out what it means. There's a lot of people that want to write a book because they want to write a book, but there's also a lot of people that want to write a book because they feel they need to like for their brand or because they want to grow their audience or whatever. And I think that's fine, but I would encourage those people even to figure out specifically what it is you want to say and have the book be about transmitting that message to people. And had I had that like one organizing idea, essentially just something to say. You know, in my other books, I was like, which I've had like hundreds of thousands of words. And like, it's like, oh, I'm going to tell this story, which I think is like significant. And then I'm going to like create sort of a process that contributes. And then if you want to emulate this story, here's like the things that you need to do. And like, it just kind of went all over the place. But there wasn't like one organizing simple idea at the core of it that I was trying to express to people. I think what I was trying to do is I was trying to essay out a whole book as opposed to really trying to say something. And so it was that turn that like once I knew what was in my head of what I wanted to say to my audience, it became super clear how to finish the book. Like you're making me think a lot with that because recently I feel like I've been having the opposite where I've been working in fiction recently, but I read all these books that you have to really outline it so you don't write 50,000 words and then you have to rewrite it. And I could sit in front of an outline all day and not come up with anything. And it was only through writing that I was coming up with ideas and discovering stuff and just kind of being okay with that, that it might take a bit longer than just having a solid outline and working from it and knowing you're going to finish it in three weeks. But I wasn't getting anything done then, so at least it's like I'm moving forward now. Why are you working on fiction? Because I've never written it before. And, well, A, it is a good moneymaker on Kindle. But B, I feel like it's the next stage for me to grow in my craft and in writing. It's just extremely challenging, and especially trying to do it, I now approach even fiction books I wouldn't consider excellent with a sense of awe. Just I can't even imagine how you just made this all work. You just made the whole plot work. It's, it's incredible trying to do it. So it's very difficult. Could you share some thoughts to an audience member who 
likes to write and is curious about the prospect of selling books on Amazon for a living? Have we passed the moment of opportunity or is it still a good time to get started? I think it's still a great time to get started. Like you said, there's a lot of stuff out there that is rated super highly, but it's not very good. And Amazon is still figuring out that algorithm to get those good books in front of people that they do want to read. There's always a market for good books, good content, and that the hardest part of it is just the marketing. And if you can create a solid book, though, I think eventually, you know, you study up on a few different marketing tactics, and I think you can get it to the right people. Well, I guess the first question is fiction or nonfiction, because those two are quite different in the way you approach them on Amazon. How so? Well, nonfiction, at least what I've experienced, leans a lot more towards Amazon SEO and going after those keywords that people are searching. Like you said, productivity is a big one, that whole area, and trying to rank your book for those keywords and getting that seen by people, and that's how you reach your market. Whereas fiction is really more building an audience, building fans through email lists and more of that whole side of things. What kind of money do you think is possible for people? I kind of have the sense that if you want to be an author on Amazon, you're probably not going to make as much money as if you would go out and grow an Amazon business, but it's worth it because you get to write for a living instead. Do you feel like that prejudice is fair or is there big money making opportunity to be an author on Amazon? I think it's more the exception to be making super big money on Amazon, but I think you can make definitely make decent money on it. The thing that makes it much better to get into is that you don't need any capital to get started, really, especially if you can write your own books. If you want to hire someone, it's still not going to be as much as a physical product. One of the things I've seen happening with the nonfiction categories is like, I've met a lot of people who make like two, $3,000 a month off of one book that they wrote in a category. And then they can spend all that money on ads, basically reinvest it in whatever is being sold at the back of the book. Yeah, a lot of people upsell like courses or then capture emails and start selling physical products related to that niche and things like that. Any parting shots for TMBA podcasts? This is the hardest question of the day. A lot of people want to read more in 2018. Yeah, if people want to read more, I would say you mentioned Audible is a huge thing. Just listen to it when you're doing laundry, doing the dishes that really you speed through books that way. One of the things I found about Audible is that I'll go for a walk somewhere just to listen to the book. So it can become like something pretty robust to do with part of my day. Next tip. I started reading before bed, which I found helps my sleep as well. So that's just been a bonus and you can really get a lot of reading done until you feel tired. So that's been nice instead of screen time in bed. Any more? I would say keep track of the books you read. Last year, I started just a Google sheet, and I just had two lists, and one list was books I wanted to read, and the second was books I finished, and both of them grew throughout the year, but it was just nice to see that progress and then also be excited by this huge list of books and picking out the next one. This was awesome. I really love the way that you described the books. I wanted to read every single one of them. Thanks for doing this, Kyla. Thanks so much, Dan. Because you know I'm all about those books, about those books, start reading. I'm all about those books, about those books, start reading. I'm all about those books. Do you like episodes about books books and writing? If so, let us know your suggestions and I'd love to hear your writing tips as well. 
will be in the comments at tropicalmba.com slash books and writing. And big thanks to Kyla. Fantastic recommendations and writing tips as well. You can check out more of her work at kylagardner.com. Again, thanks for listening to the TMBA pod. Time to get back and stuck into some books. And by the way, is everybody still reading on Kindles or are we going back to paper books now? Love to hear your thoughts. (laughs) Thanks for listening. We'll be back next Thursday morning, 8 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. Hey, thanks for listening to the Tropical MBA podcast. You can go to tropicalmba.com, get access to hundreds of back episodes and all kinds of other goodies. Load up your iPod. That is the cheapest way to fly business class on your next international flight. We will see you next Thursday morning, 8 a.m. Eastern Standard Time.